It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, thanks for joining me today in Psy Tech Talk. A really important question we're going to take on from a scientific point of view. But we're also going to dig for the God story. And it came to me from a dear friend. He is more left-leaning in ideology and even politics, perhaps, than I am. And she asked a sincere question. As Roe v. Wade was overturned, she sent me a message that said, what about this? And she sent the meme, life begins at first breath, citing a scripture in Genesis chapter two. And she said, look, I'm not trying to be confrontational. I just really care. I love women. I understand their plight and how difficult life can be. And I really want to know, what do you think about this? This show is for you, Jen, and for many women who sometimes people on the maybe right, conservative, or even Christian side of the pro-life issue or the life issue can beat people up with biblical ideas when people are really just searching. We use words like murder, and maybe we may feel that rightly describes the situation, but are we really walking in love? And so how do we find balance, and what does the Bible really say? When does life begin? Avery Foley joins us again, and an absolute delight with some answers, and in this case, specifically in Genesis. The universe and everything. Answers in Genesis. Time for answers. Yes, it's some time for answers. Avery, what a delight to have you again. You're fun to talk to, and what a wonderful heart you have. Plus, the science girl. So you've got it all going on. You're the exact person for this exact question. There are people who use, and I'll even put this on screen if you're watching. If you're not, you can certainly go to mymichellelive.com. But there are places you can find all over the web that say, hey, there's verses that prove the Bible supports abortion rights. We'll go through some of these systematically, but Avery, the the biggest one really is, look, life doesn't even begin till a baby's born. Somehow, now, I'm not trying to be despairing of people. I don't want to do that. And can I also say, women who have had abortions, there's forgiveness, there's life. We don't want to forget about that. But let's take on that very issue. Somehow, uh, magically in the birth canal, something goes from not alive to alive, right? Where's th- that's scientific, right? That's science. Yeah, not quite, not quite. Yeah, there's nothing magical about the birth canal that magically transforms a non-person into a person. If you think about it from just from a scientific perspective, at the very moment of fertilization, when that egg and sperm come together, you have all of the information that's ever going to build that person, right? You have half the information comes from mom, half the information comes from dad, and you get all of the information at that very moment that builds that person. Nothing new is added. Everything's there from the very moment of fertilization. So you have 100% human, 100% a person right from that very moment. Some people like to put arbitrary markers on when someone becomes a person. It's when the heart starts beating at maybe five, six weeks. It's when there's brain activity that you're able to, um, 
notice or it's when the baby's born or there's just all these different arbitrary markers and all of those are exactly that they're arbitrary like one person saying it's the heartbeat one person saying it's the brain one person saying it's birth and there's really no foundation for any of those other than personal opinion Whereas when we go to the word of God, we always see whether we're talking in the Psalms, whether we're talking about the conception of Jesus, for example, when God speaks to Jeremiah and says, before you were even conceived, I called you to be a prophet. Wherever we're looking in scripture, we always see the unborn being treated as fully human, as fully persons. Nowhere do we see, and we'll get to Genesis 2-7 in a minute, but nowhere do we see any of these arbitrary markers. Rather, we see from that very moment of fertilization, God has created a unique person. And that's, from a scientific perspective, that's when a human life begins, is when that egg and sperm come together and then you have the baby starts to form their body. And all you just have are different developmental stages that continue until natural death. We wouldn't say that a toddler is any less of a person than a preschooler just because there's different levels of development, right? It's just a normal, natural continuum of development through till natural death. So life does not begin at first breath or at birth, even from just a scientific perspective. Yeah, a couple of really good points to to think on. We don't say, okay, a toddler is less of a person than an adult. A 20-year-old is less of a person than maybe a 40-year-old. But then Logan's run after you're 30. You're no longer a person anymore. We can just get rid of you. For those of you who don't get the Logan's run reference, you're too young. So you're not a person yet. No, just. (laughs) (laughs) But something else that's really important is you mentioned what science says. Science has been spectacularly consistent with the idea of when life begins. But the Bible has as well. The Bible is very consistent. You need to check your worldview as you're looking at this very important issue. Just for a moment, no matter how passionate you are, just check your worldview. Because you can see inconsistencies when you say it begins with the heartbeat or it begins with brain damage. So if someone is experiencing heart failure or they no longer a person. If someone is brain dead, we don't say they're no longer a person. They just may not have the ability to live. So there's tremendous inconsistency with opinion where it, it, where life is concerned. Yes, absolutely. If it's just arbitrary and based on opinion, then who's to say who's right? There are ethicists, I say that in quotes because I don't think they're very ethical, but there are ethicists who say that life shouldn't, we shouldn't consider someone a person until they're three weeks old or until someone say as high as two years old, parents should still have the option if they don't wanna be parents anymore. Basically infanticide should be legal if parents decide that they're not equipped to handle this newborn because the newborn isn't a person yet. Hmm. So if it's just arbitrary based on opinion, then who's to say that that person is wrong in that belief? Uh, Whereas if you go back to the word of God, you can say, no, it's taking the life of someone made in the image of God is wrong, whether we're talking about a child that hasn't been born yet or a child that's two seconds old, just having been delivered. There's no difference because that person is made in the image of God from the moment of fertilization. And there you are with that consistency again, because think of it, if we could say I'm not equipped or I don't find this thing viable, then could we say that about homeless people? Could we say that about disabled people? Could we say that about grandma and grandpa when they start drooling on themselves? No, there is something and you, you know it, there is something 
extraordinarily beautiful about the value of human life. You see it in reflected in our society in the movies that that we show. When we value human life, the extraordinary efforts we go through to save human life, why would we if there's no value in it? Yeah, yeah, and it becomes consistent. Like you said, if we just get to determine who's a person and whose life matters, then where do you draw the line? Where all of a sudden do you say this person's life they're not serving the community. They're not bringing something to the table economically. They're a drain on society, quote unquote. All of a sudden, if we can come up with all these practical reasons why this person's life should be ended, then who, there's no foundation for it to say, no, that's wrong. That's just, it's just wrong. Not because of any of these practical reasons, but because we cannot take the life of someone who's been made in the image of God. All of a sudden you don't have a basis for saying that anymore because you don't have an ultimate authority. It's just arbitrary opinion. And why should your opinion matter more than this other person? Ouch. Okay. Let's talk about what does the Bible say? Because this is the crux of our conversation today, yeah. uh, at least a starting point, <clears throat> Genesis 2, 7, where it is quoted, look, life begins at first breath. And if you look on the surface that if you're looking for an arbitrary line and you value life, that sounds like a logical place to start. Yeah. So I saw the same meme that your friend sent you. I was just on Facebook and I saw this meme and it frankly made me pretty mad because there's there, I do not like seeing scripture being twisted to support something God hates. Like in Proverbs, it says the Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. Like this is something the Lord hates. So to see someone taking the word of God and using it to support something God hates was I found that pretty upsetting. So I wrote because of that <laughs> consistency in the Bible. <laughs> so the scripture verse that they quoted is Genesis 2, 7. I'll just read it here. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So there we see that Adam, the first man, was not a living creature until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So the meme takes that to mean life someone doesn't become a living creature doesn't become a person until they take that first breath of life but there, there's a couple problems with that the first problem of course is that the creation of adam is not descriptive of how everyone else is created right this was a unique one of a Pretty kind much. creation when god makes the very first man so when god formed adam he forms him of the dust of the ground so you have on the ground just like a human shape but the shape isn't alive because God has not yet given his creation life. So it's just a shape laying there on the ground. That is not in any way analogous. No, an Adam was the child. first dirt bag. <laughs> yeah, but that's no way analogous to an unborn child. An unborn child in the womb is able to sense light. They can hear voices. They can respond to particularly their mother's voice. They are starting to learn the first beginning language, actually. They're starting to learn language in the room. They're able to suck on their thumbs, suck on their fists, play with their toes, play with the umbilical cord. We can do surgeries on babies that haven't been born yet. Like, this is in no way analogous. A, a human-shaped pile of dust versus a human being that's kicking and moving and rolling and sucking on their thumb are in no way analogous because they're not intended to be. Adam was a very unique creation, the very first person God made. And then we read in Genesis 4, and then there on after, how the rest of mankind, excepting Eve, of course, come into existence, where the scripture uses the euphemism, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. And that's how the rest of us have come to be, in not the same way as Adam. And if you think about that, too, you have Adam, God formed him from the dust of the ground. So if you're going to say that this verse, Genesis 2-7, tells us that life begins at first breath, well, life, you have to say, to be consistent, Life also begins when God forms someone from the dust of the ground. 
And of course, no one is taking the verse that way because it's inconvenient to Good the point, point that they want to make. But this verse isn't supposed to be telling us anything about how life begins today. It's pointing to the very unique creation of Adam. And then also if you think about Eve, Eve is created very differently from Adam, right? God puts Adam to sleep after he's realized there's no one here like me. And God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. And he makes Eve from Adam's side. So she's formed very differently. So is it only males that become a living creature when God, when they take their first breath? Women, no, because we're never told Eve has the breath of life breathed into her. So is it only males? Like, it's just a silly argument that's really trying to stretch the text. When you're not looking into to the scripture. And yet the only other reference to try to be fair on this is Job 33, 4, that says the spirit of God has made me the breath of the almighty gives me life. That can be referenced as well. But you have addressed a lot of this in a wonderful article that we will link at my Michelle live. Um, that puts both of those arguments to rest besides just the obvious. And that's babies are breathing in the womb. Right. Yeah. They're not breathing obviously the same way we breathe because we breathe air, whereas babies are surrounded by a fluid, amniotic fluid, but they're still exchanging oxygen and carbon dioxide via the umbilical cord and the placenta with mom's blood. So they are breathing, just not in the same way that we're breathing. So the argument doesn't even make any sense from that scientific perspective of a baby is breathing in the womb and they have lungs and they're practicing their breathing by swallowing amniotic fluid and that whole process strengthens their lungs so that when they are born they're able to take their first breath of air and breathe the same way we do as opposed to how they breathe in the womb which is via the umbilical cord and the placenta exchanging those gases with mom's blood. Let's look at some of the other scriptures, and I'm going to take just a moment. I know this is important to both you, and I want to take a moment if you're tuning in live and you're like, oh boy, okay, here we go. You're calling me a murderer, because that really hurts. I sat with someone that I love dearly who had an abortion years ago, and she said during this time, she has been uh, especially, you know, this post Roe v. Wade kind of thing. She, says she goes into church and she hears people say, if you've had an abortion, you're a murderer. And she says, I've made peace with God. I've sought forgiveness. There's just absolutely no church she feels that she can go to where she can be human again. And I want you to know that some of those very people preaching that have had problems with pornography or have had strained relations with their wives. They may have issues with overeating. They may, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They, there's divorced people in church. And we're not coming down on them the same way. Look, there is a difference between taking on an issue that may directly affect society and who you are and your value towards God, to God and to other people. So I want you to know you are valuable. You are loved. God doesn't see you as when you come to him. He no longer sees you as sinner, bad, murderer, divorcee, whatever. He sees you as the redeemed. He sees you as he would Jesus himself. So I needed to say that. I think that's important. Yeah, for sure. We want people who have had an abortion or men who have pressured women to have an abortion or haven't supported them in the way they should have to encourage them to choose life. We want them to know that 
there is forgiveness through the cross of Christ. Christ promises that when you repent uh, and you turn from that sin and you come to Christ, he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers it no more. Like, of course, there, there are still consequences in this life to the choices we make. But our sins are paid for on the cross when we turn to Christ. And we don't bear the guilt of that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, as the book of Romans says. So absolutely, people need to remember that if they are forgiven by Christ, they are forgiven and they have his rope of righteousness. Important side note, because yes. I don't want to be one of those who is just out there. It is there. the main point. The right? always the main point. Because <laughs> I feel sometimes we can be like the Jesus screamers at games who are out there with a megaphone. You're evil. You're going to hell. Okay, but let's have the whole God here. Don't right. just scream at me to make me feel bad. Let's talk about the whole gospel and let's talk about where it applies to some of the other scriptures that are cited. The, one of the points is the Bible never outlaws abortion. Yeah, the Bible never says outlaws a lot of things that it comes against and condemns. So the, don't you find that to be an illogical argument? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of things in scripture. Like scripture is, it's very exhaustive. Obviously, it's 66 books. It's very, there, there's a lot to it, but it does not cover every single situation every single time. Rather, God's word gives us certain rules, certain laws, certain principles that we apply to various circumstances. For example, there are no scriptures that say, that talk exactly about some of the hot button issues in our culture today, like gender pronouns. You're not going to find a verse that talks about gender pronouns in scripture, but we have principles about how God has created us, male and female, and how he told the Israelites that a man isn't dressed like a woman and a woman's not dressed like a man. We can take those principles and apply them to the issue. So even if scripture doesn't directly address something, God hasn't left us stumbling around in the dark trying to figure it out on our own. He's given us his word and given us everything we need for life and godliness, where we can go to God's word and apply those principles to the issues of our day. So we have to look to all of scripture, not just little proof texts. We have to look to all of scripture to figure out. And all of scripture is very clear that God values life. And he particularly, if you read through the prophets, for example, the Old Testament prophets, God just comes down on people who are abusing and mistreating those who are vulnerable. And who is more vulnerable than a child growing in the womb who has no voice, has no ability to defend themselves? No one's more vulnerable than that. So when you see God's heart towards the vulnerable, we know his heart towards those who are unborn, as well as we have explicit scriptures like Psalm 139 that talk about God fearfully and wonderfully making us in the womb. Right. And yet that idea of the scripture protects the vulnerable runs opposite of what this article is saying about Exodus 21, 22 through 25. When men have a fight and hurt a pregnant woman, so she suffers a miscarriage, but no further injury, the guilty one shall be fined. And uh, then it goes on to say, if injury ensues, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. That's where that famous eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth scripture comes from. And so they're saying, see, the they support abortion. If men get in a fight and a woman's hurt and the, the baby is miscarried, that which is different, first of all, from an abortion. It is, uh, is a reach with calling this a miscarriage because that's not what the says it says if a child is injured but not miscarried or doesn't die then there's a fine if and then it goes on to say if there's eye for an eye if there is injury eye for an eye life for a life tooth for a tooth it almost 
if you want to really look at it, would say you kill a kid, you should get the death penalty. Ah, ouch. Yeah. But this isn't an abortion issue. This is a woman accidentally being injured as well. So there's all kinds yeah. of stuff wrong with that. Yeah, we have a whole article on our website, answersandgenesis.org, and it goes specifically into this passage. But the main point is what you brought up, that actually the passage says that if a child dies, the person who struck that woman and killed that child, they lose their life under the Old Testament law. That's how much God values unborn life. This whole idea that there's two separate categories of personhood, the born and the unborn, it's just not found in scripture. It isn't. There are arguments like life begins at one month because that's when they started counting the male child in numbers three, which also is illogical because then it would it would say then women aren't counted, so they aren't human. They're not persons. Yeah. <laughs> so we're never counted. So we it, these things just are yeah. huge reaches. And finally, I think really everything else is pretty much covered, but Ecclesiastes is another uh, category saying that if a guy has a really bad life, it's better than he just be stillborn, which is again, not abortion. It's the, right. it, you first you have to understand what Ecclesiastes is. It's like the, oh, where is me? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, Ecclesiastes, you cannot read the book of Ecclesiastes divorced from its context. That's just one book you cannot pull a verse out and use it to support your point because Ecclesiastes is all about the context of Solomon as an old man being like, I've tried riches, I've tried success, I've tried women, nothing matters, nothing's like, it's just all vanity, it's all useless. I should just be like, life is worthless. And then at the end, he comes to the realization that life is to be lived for the glory of God. So you can't just pick a verse out of Ecclesiastes and be like, see, the Bible says life doesn't matter. Okay. Really? Ecclesiastes as Solomon working through all of these and coming to realize. You can't take scripture out anywhere because sometimes it's poetic. Sometimes it's yeah. literal. Some You read things in context. You do that with everything. You don't just take, yeah. granted, I understand the world we live in, that we will take things online and we'll take things that we have no idea what the mindset behind the person yeah. who posted it was. We have none of the background. We'll just take it and run with it. And we think it's okay, but it isn't okay. You need no. historical reference. You need context. You need intent you these are things that every one of these look the bible supports abortion does i'm telling you if it said in there and there were there's a biblical reference or it was a gray area that would be fine that's part of the struggle with light between life and scripture but it's just not there it's just not there and so avery i wanted to talk about some of the effects of our choices. When we look at the Bible and it talks about and and protects and venerates and praises and talks about the preciousness of life in the womb and the protection of the most vulnerable, what happens? Do you think that what is happening in our society may be a result of our inability to appreciate and protect life? For sure. We have a very, in our culture today, a very secular worldview that's based on nothing more than human opinion. There is no ultimate authority. The rule basically is do what feels right. Do what makes you feel good. Do what you think is best. 
And of course that leads to all kinds of hurt and brokenness because we're very sinful. Our desires are contrary to what God would have us do. Jeremiah 17, nine says our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know them. So like being sinners, we are not going to make choices that are going to be honoring to God. They're going to be selfless and giving on our own strength, right? So when we have a culture of people just doing whatever makes them happy and feels right, then you're going to have a culture that's going to do things that are very wrong and that go opposite to what the word of God says. And we also have a culture we have to keep in mind as well. We've had generations raised to, on the evolutionary teaching that man is just an animal that we're just highly evolved animals. There's nothing particularly special about us. We're no different from sunflowers and pond scum and goldfish. We're just evolved life, right? And we just happen to be the current most evolved life form on the planet. Very different and gives a very different value to human life than the biblical teaching that we have been created in the very image of God, fearfully and wonderfully knit together by him. So worldviews have consequences. What you believe about the world around you, what you believe about the past, who you are, the meaning and purpose of life is going to shape the choices that you make. And whether you start from the evolutionary perspective of millions of years and we're just animals versus the biblical perspective of being made in God's image and, and that we are supposed to lay down our lives for others, you're going to have very different consequences that come from two very different worldviews based on two very different foundations for our thinking. But do understand as you're watching or listening that we're all subject to that idea that we want to cut down human life. And that comes from even that biblical worldview. When we talked about people who will tear someone down because they've had an abortion or because they voted differently, we can cancel you. You're, you're no longer welcome here. We're not going to be in fellowship with you. That to me is the tearing down of human life as well. You're not appreciating someone and loving them. You know, we're because we've all saw, we all sin and fall short of God's glory. There's a scripture that talks about there's a way that seems right to man. It just seems right to stand on the right side, but that way can lead to death. It can lead to death of relationships, death of love in in this world. So we all have to be careful because we're all subject to sin. We're all subject to that. Let's put ourselves on the throne and life doesn't really matter. It just comes in different forms. Yeah, for sure. And when we read in, in the book of John, where it says Jesus came full of grace and truth. And that's the oh, balance yeah. as Christians we have to try to strike, right? We don't want to let go of truth. We don't want to just lull people into a sense of complacency where they don't feel the need to repent because they don't realize they're sinners. Like we don't want that to happen because if someone isn't convicted of their sin, they're not going to see the need for Christ. You have to know the bad news before you can know the good news, right? So we don't want to let go of truth, but we also don't want to let go of grace and understand that apart from Christ, that's us. That could be us, right? Apart from Christ, there's nothing good in me. So I don't want to be like all high and mighty. I'm so great. Everyone else is so awful. No, all of us have sinned. And apart from Christ, that's all of us. But best two words in scripture, right? But God had mercy. God gave forgiveness and his new life and the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and to lead us into holiness. We always want to hold grace and truth together. It is a hard balance to strike, 
course, Jesus isn't the only one who did it perfectly, but we try to follow his example and hold those two in. Uh, and that's the best place for us to end today, but God. I love that. And I always love talking with you. Avery is the best mix of fun and science and absolute cool, cool girl that you can, you just feel like when I interview view you, it's like we're sitting at a coffee shop having coffee geeking out. I totally love it. So I look forward to it. I look forward to the next time you join us. God bless you, my friend. And as you're watching, listening, please, or reading, remember, but God, just remember that because there is a better way. There is a God way. There is a God story. And that's what we like to get on, on my Michelle Live. Like us, share us, subscribe, and my Michelle Live for more SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.